0: From the Heidelberg Catechism, we read together Lord's Day 10. What do you understand by the providence of God? Uh, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move." beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do bad things happen to good people? We know that God our Father loves us and cares for us. We know him to be the almighty ruler of heaven and earth. If God is all-powerful and full of love, then why does he allow bad things to happen to us? God takes away loved ones in the prime of life. He allows precious little ones to die in the womb. He sends sickness upon us or family members. He allows us to experience ongoing pain which just grinds and wears on us. He allows struggles in family relationships to occur. We deal with problems at work and struggles in raising our kids. In different ways, we are all at times faced with the question, why is this happening to me? This afternoon, we deal with the difficult doctrine of the providence of God. God's providence is his almighty power by which he rules and governs over all things. When we speak about God's providence, we mean the way in which he rules our lives with His fatherly hand. Why is this a difficult doctrine for us to accept in faith? The basic struggle for us is to try to figure out how the Bible can say that God is a good God who loves to give good gifts to his children. And then to reconcile that with the fact that God allows us to undergo great hardships and struggles. In teaching us about God's providence, our catechism has a specific aim. It is to teach us to trust in God's care over our lives. To know that when life goes well for us, our prosperity is not due to our wisdom, our strength, or our own hard work. It is a blessing from God's fatherly hand, for which we should be very grateful to know that when we are faced with adversities in life, that these too come from the hand of our Heavenly Father, that even though we may not understand His ways in our lives, we still submit our hearts and our lives to Him. And also in times of struggle and sorrow, We may be assured that God is working for our benefit. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God works all things for our benefit by his fatherly hand. We'll consider the struggles we face from the problem of evil and the comfort we receive from God's gracious care. In Lord's Day 10, we confess the sovereignty of God. Not only is he the almighty creator of heaven and earth and all that's in them, he also upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence. God's rule over this world is absolute. He so governs life that leaf and blade, rain and drought fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Please note, beloved, that God does not just rule and govern over the good things in life. Our catechism specifically notes that God upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that also drought barren years, sickness, and poverty come from his almighty hand. We ask, how does that fit with the fact that God is a good God? How does it fit with God's promises that he loves us with a deep and an abiding love? Those are real questions, beloved. They are not just Theological, where our keen minds try to understand. When we go through hardships and adversity, when we suffer pain and sorrow, these questions become real. A couple weeks ago, there was a massive earthquake in Turkey. More than 37,000 people died, tens of thousands were injured, and there's widespread devastation. You can see the images of rubble on TV and hear the cries of those who lost homes and loved ones. It's also very sad. Yet we know that this earthquake did not happen outside of God's control. What we often refer to as natural disasters are acts of God. God rules over the heavens and the earth And all that's in them, he sent this earthquake. But why, we ask? How can a good God send an earthquake and allow such devastation? The first thing that we need to acknowledge is that all the misery there is on this earth is a result of sin. The fall into sin brought God's curse on us as people. Because of the fall into sin, we experience pain, sickness, suffering, and ultimately death. Yet sin has not just affected us as human beings. Because of man's sin, God cursed the ground so it would produce thorns and thistles. It was only in the sweat of his brow that man would be able to produce food. The result of God's curse is that the whole creation groans like a woman in labor. It's one of the reasons that we experience hurricanes and tornadoes, floods and drought, earthquakes and tsunamis. At times, God may directly intervene into world events to punish people for their wickedness. We know that in the Old Covenant, when Israel rebelled against the Lord and served other gods, he sent the curses of the covenant upon them. He withheld rain and so caused drought and famine. He sent Israel's enemies and allowed them victory in war as a chastisement of his covenant people. When you read through Revelation, the Lord makes clear he will send his wrath on the wicked through war, famine, plague, And natural disasters. Part of God's purpose in sending judgments is to call people to repentance and life. And so, beloved, when we undergo suffering, it's good for us to examine our hearts and our lives. Could it be that God is bringing hard times upon me because of ongoing sin in my life? Are there sins from which I have not repented? Do I need to humble myself before God in prayer, honestly confessing my waywardness and disobedience before him? Are there people in my life that I've sinned against to whom I need to confess my wrongdoing and from whom I need to seek forgiveness? As a loving father, God will discipline us for our good, to draw us into a wholesome relationship with Him. Beloved, we know that not every situation of hardship or trouble in this life is is intended as discipline from God. Getting into a car accident does not mean that God is chastising you. We should not make judgments when someone is diagnosed with a serious illness that God is punishing them for some sin in their life stress at work, financial hardships, and relationship struggles may simply be part of our fallen condition. Yet adversity and hardships can cause deep struggles of faith. And that's especially true when our suffering goes on and on. We ask, why does God allow bad things to happen to me, though I serve Him with a whole heart? How come I must continually struggle with my mental health? Why is it that our loved ones are straying from God's ways? Doesn't God love me? If God is a good God, does he take sadistic delight in tormenting me? Why? Oh, why is this evil happening to me? Times of adversity are nothing new to our day and age. Throughout history, God's people have been faced with trials and struggles. They also often did not understand God's ways in their lives. We read together this, this afternoon the story about Joseph being sold into slavery. His brothers were jealous of him, for Jacob favored Joseph over them. One day when Jacob sent Joseph off to check on them, they saw their chance. They plotted to kill him, but in the end they sold him to some Midianite traders for 20 shekels of silver. Imagine what's happening from Joseph's perspective. He'd gone out to do what his father told him. Without any warning, his brothers had chucked him into a cistern. A while later, they finally came to drag him back out. Imagine Joseph's dismay when he realized he'd been sold into slavery, walking along a dusty road, away from home, away from his father, away from the promised land. Joseph didn't know about God's plan for his life, All he knew was that for no good reason at all, he'd been sold by his brothers, and that now he was a slave. Joseph's struggles and difficulties did not end there. He was a faithful young man. He did his work well, and God blessed his efforts. His master, Potiphar, made Joseph overseer of his house. He put all he had under his authority. And then Joseph gets another knock. His master's wife wrongly accused Joseph of trying to sleep with her. Joseph was thrown into prison. There he was, an innocent man, in jail, in a foreign land. He still had no idea about why God was leading his life in this way. The Lord continued to be with Joseph even while he was in jail. God showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. He gave Joseph charge of all the prisoners. Again, Joseph was on the way up in life. His hopes were dramatically raised when the king's baker and butler were imprisoned and when he interpreted their dreams for them. He pleaded with the butler to intercede with him before the king to secure his release. But the butler forgot about Joseph. So he languished in jail for another two years. The story of Job is in some ways like that of Joseph. He also did not know what God's plan was for his life. Job did not understand why God allowed so much evil to happen to him. To begin with, he was prosperous in every way. He had great wealth, a large, happy family, the respect and admiration of the entire community. Unlike some, in such circumstances, Job was not arrogant or pleasure-seeking. God's Word tells us he was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Yet Job was confronted with great adversity in his life. In One day his oxen and donkeys were stolen, his sheep were burned by fire from heaven, his camels were taken, and his sons and daughters died when a great wind knocked over the house in which they were feasting. Imagine that in one day your business went under, you lost your possessions, all your children died in an accident. How would you react to such adversity? Job tore his clothes. He shaved his head. He fell down to the ground, and he worshiped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job's troubles did not end there. His health was also affected. He suffered from painful sores all over his body. To top it all off, his wife, too, turned against him. She encouraged him to curse God and die. Job's friends came to comfort him. At first they were silent for seven days, for they saw that his grief was great. Yet after this they harassed and they tormented him. and They told him that he was being chastised by God. They were convinced that he had committed some great sin to be punished in this way. They continually urged him to repent, to confess his sins, and so receive relief from God. So Job, too, suffered greatly without understanding why God allowed all these things to happen in his life. Beloved, perhaps in your life, too, you can relate in some way to the trials and adversities of Joseph or Job. You, too, may be asking the why questions without receiving any clear-cut answers. Going through hard times without knowing why can be a real challenge for our faith. It can make us question God's goodness or doubt his power. It can undermine our faith and trust in his fatherly rule over our lives. When we go through such struggles, it's important to remember a few basic things. First is that God is not the author of sin. James teaches us this in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. John says in 1 John 2, verse 16, that everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Evil is a result of the fall into sin. While God remains fully in control of all of our lives, we cannot charge him with being responsible for sin. The second thing we need to remember is that God's power and goodness are great. That they are beyond our understanding. God executes his work in a most excellent and just manner even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. God allowed Satan to do what he wanted in the life of Job. He used the Assyrians as the rod of his anger to punish the wickedness of his people Israel. Yet although God uses the works of devils and wicked men to accomplish his purposes, they are still fully responsible for their own deeds. These considerations do not provide us with complete answers to the problem of suffering, but they do help to set some limits. We may know that God is not the author of sin. We also be assured of the fact that God remains fully in control, even when we suffer under the attacks of Satan or wicked men. We'll deal with With our questions and struggles further in our second point, and I will consider the comfort we receive from God's gracious care. It's important for us to realize that all that happens to us in life is under the controlling hand of God. The things that happen around us and to us are not random events that come about by chance. God has a plan for each of our lives. It's clear from David's confession in Psalm 139. He praises God for the wondrous way in which he was made. David says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What David is saying is that God had a plan for every day of his life, even before he was born. And, beloved, in the same way, God has a plan for each of our lives. God's providence is the outworking of His plan in our lives. There is a purpose behind everything that happens in our lives. Even though we often don't know what that purpose is, it's important to remember that it is God who leads and who directs our lives. That fact gives us great comfort. It assures us of our father's gracious care over us, also in hard times. It helps us to persevere through the midst of struggles and difficulties. Joseph had little idea about why he was sold into slavery. He had had some dreams in which God showed him that he would be great, that his father and mothers would his father and mother and brothers would bow down before him. But this did little to prepare him for the great adversities he was faced with in his life. What we know is that God was at work. And years and years later, this also became apparent to Joseph. Why was Joseph sold into slavery? Why was he chucked into prison? Why did these things happen to an upright, God-fearing youth? Our Bible reading from Genesis 45 makes the answer clear. Joseph told his brothers, Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a great famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. If we look at this whole situation, we see that Joseph suffered great adversity because of the sin of his brothers. They were guilty of sin against the Eighth Commandment. They kidnapped their brother and sold him into slavery. They caused the loss of his freedom. They took away the innocence of his youth. They deprived him of all the spiritual benefits of living among God's covenant people. Yet through their sinful actions, God was at work. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph tells his brothers, You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God sent Joseph to Egypt to prepare food for his chosen people during the seven years of famine. Job also struggled with great adversity without understanding why. The book of Job reveals to us what is going on behind the scenes In our daily lives. It shows us how Satan is behind many of the situations we're confronted with in life. Often we don't realize that this is the case in our own lives. Well, neither did Job. Job did not know that Satan presented himself before the Lord in heaven... Job did not know how the Lord had spoken highly of him, that the Lord saw him as a blameless and upright man, one who feared God and shunned evil. Job didn't know that Satan accused him of serving God simply because God gave him prosperity. He certainly did not know that God gave Satan power over all his possessions and that he later allowed Satan to take away his health. Job lost all his possessions, his children, his health, the spiritual support of his wife. And he did not know why. We know that Satan was tempting Job and that God was testing him. We know this because God reveals it to us in his word. Yet Job did not understand this. And in the same way, we often do not understand what's happening in our own lives. We don't know why the Lord brings financial hardship upon us. We don't know why he allows us to suffer with poor health. We don't know why he causes us to struggle in family relationships. Is Satan tempting us? Well, most likely. But why does God allow him to do this? It's a question we cannot answer with any certainty. For the Lord does not tell us why specific things happen to us in life. What God's word does make clear is that God is at work in each of our lives. He brings his plans to fruition. We should not become discouraged when we're faced with trouble. James writes in his letter, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Paul writes in Romans 5 about how we are to rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. From these passages, we learn that at times God brings difficulties upon us, to help us grow through them. Suffering is hard, but it also refines us. Athletes know that we need to go through pain to experience gain. Well, that applies to every area of our lives. Most of us don't learn much from the good times in life. Good times often make us cocky. They teach us to be self-assured. It is the hard times that humble us, that teach us to be dependent on God. Maturity in faith and maturity in life come from going through hardships and struggles. There's one final reason why God allows us to experience suffering in this life. It's to teach us that there is more to life than what we see and what we experience here on this earth. It's to remind us that we are pilgrims on a journey to our eternal homeland. Beloved, we can get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of life. We so easily forget God or we relegate Him to a small corner of our lives. But struggles and suffering force us to pay attention, to ask questions. They force us to reckon with God, creates in us a longing for a better future, directs our hearts homewards to Christ, to the joy and the glory He has in store for us. Beloved, we are not alone in the struggles we face in accepting God's plan for our lives. Even our Lord Jesus Christ had to wrestle with God's plan for his life. Jesus was fully human like us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to the Father, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. His agony was so great that his sweat became like great drops of blood. Our Savior struggled with the difficulty of submitting himself to the will of God. For doing the Father's will meant dying on a cross... It meant being rejected by men and forsaken by God. In Acts 2, the Apostle Peter speaks about how Christ's death was part of God's plan. He tells the Jewish leaders that Christ was handed over to them by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And that they were responsible for crucifying him and putting him to death. Peter makes it clear that this was a necessary part of God's plan of salvation. For it's through Christ's death and resurrection that God provided redemption for his people. Later in the book of Acts, it becomes clear that God allowed the saints in Jerusalem to be severely persecuted. His purpose was to use this persecution to spread the gospel message Throughout the then known world, beloved, we may not always understand God's direction over our daily lives, yet let us wholeheartedly believe God's promise made in Romans eight twenty-eight. 28. There God assures us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, God is our faithful Father. We have His promise that not a hair can fall from our heads without His will. We have His assurance that no creature shall separate us from His love. God's providential care covers all circumstances. It covers the whole of our lives. That gives us great comfort. You ever seen a model railway with a dozen or so different trains running on it at the same time? What struck me about one such setup was the skill of the designer in allowing all these different trains to operate at the same time. They crossed in front of one another, they passed over and by each other, and yet they never crashed. Now think about the way in which God directs our lives. There are billions of people in this world. And God has a plan for each minute of each day, for each of our lives. He knows about every single interaction that we've ever had or will have with any other person. He's in control of everything that happens throughout this entire universe. And the whole point of his plan is to save us. In Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul speaks about how wide and long and high and deep Christ's love is. Christ loves us. Even when we fall short of God's will. Think of what Paul writes in Romans 5. He says that Christ died for the ungodly. God's love is seen in that While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He made the supreme sacrifice for us while we were his enemies. Our Father has promised to save all those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Does this mean that we will always understand his plan for our lives? No, we don't. Does it mean that we'll never struggle in surrendering ourselves to God's will for our life? Of course not. And yet, with David, we can say to God, though I walk through the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O oh Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. God's providential care over us gives us great comfort, for it assures us that He will complete His work of salvation in our lives. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing, When Peace Like a River.